This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Tuesday, October the 24th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Holland Bloorview Hospital has developed a decision aid tool for autistic young adults in the workplace. Courtney Weaver will tell you all about it. Have you ever considered starting your own business? Rabia Khader shares her thoughts on entrepreneurship for people with disabilities. Of course, the conversation around National Disability Employment Month rolls on. And... Planning a trip with accessibility needs can be stressful. There are some routes you can explore on your next journey. Options to consider. Anupala will offer some suggestions. That and so much more coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours, including a conversation about Fat Bear Week. Yes, that Fat Bear Week is in the books, but there is some science and technology that makes Fat Bear Week more than meets the claw. So Lawrence Gunther will stop by to talk about that as well. Here comes the top story of the day, though, and it's all about your money. New survey data shows that Canadians are stressing about mortgage rates. Surprise, surprise. Don Kelly takes a closer look. 15% of mortgage holders surveyed say their mortgage payments are very difficult. That's up from 8% in March and 11% in June. Despite signs the Bank of Canada is going to hold its key interest rate steady at 5% on Wednesday, 79% of respondents are worried or very worried they'll face higher payments when it comes time to renew their mortgage. Those with variable rate mortgages are less likely than those with fixed rate mortgages to find their monthly payments easy to handle at the moment. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press, Toronto. And just a reminder that mortgage rates are not simply a factor for people who own their homes. There are many, 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 many people who are renting out condos with mortgages on those condos. So when you talk about the trickling price of rent or the massive inflation rent on rent across the country, this is a factor as well. So not just a homeowner's story, that's an everybody's story. Let's switch to a broader economic story. The European Union Tax Observatory says an agreement to weed out international tax havens has been weakened by loopholes. Donna Warder, oh man, stumbling today. Donna Warder explains. The landmark agreement by more than 140 countries and territories and brokered by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development set a minimum global corporate tax of 15%. The idea was to stop multinational corporations from shifting earnings to low or no tax havens, such as Bermuda and the Cayman Islands. The EU Tax Observatory says in a report that the agreement was expected to raise an amount equal to nearly 10% of global 
global corporate tax revenue, but the plan has weakened and would generate less than 5% of corporate tax revenue. The watchdog group says a 15% minimum tax could have raised roughly $270 billion in 2023, with loopholes that figure drops to about $136 billion. Donna Water, Washington. And one more piece of context on that story. Canada was one of the countries that signed on to that tax haven agreement. Coming back to Canada, Unifor is getting ready for another round of bargaining with grocery companies. Some Loblaw-owned stores in Ontario and Newfoundland will be next on the negotiating block. Lisa Laporte offers up some more context. More than 3,700 Metro workers in Greater Toronto went on strike this summer after rejecting their first tentative deal. More than a month later, they accepted an agreement that the union called historic. Unifor has made it clear it intends to try and duplicate that win for other grocery workers it represents. This comes as a pair of agreements are set to expire this month that cover more than 2,800 workers at a number of Ontario no-frill stores and Dominion stores in Newfoundland and Labrador. Lisa Laporte, The Canadian Press, Toronto. And then going south of the border for a story that I just can't stop following along with. There's going to be more drama at the U.S. Congress today. Republicans will hold another secret vote to find a nominee for Speaker of the House. Stephen Portnoy talks about the process. Assuming that no candidate wins a majority on the first secret ballot, the field will winnow automatically. More rounds of voting will be held until someone wins most of the ballots cast. That person then will move to the floor. After three full weeks without a speaker, New York Congressman Mark Molinaro says it's time for Republicans to finally pick a winner. I'm hopeful that uh, this gets wrapped up in the next 48 to 72 hours. But Kentucky's Thomas Massey isn't as optimistic. Have you seen our track record? Stephen Portnoy, ABC News, Washington. I'm glad that uh, congressmen are finding this story as absurdist as I am. Let's switch over to the Daily Polls at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. On Monday, you were asked, are you more likely to support a company based on their corporate, social, and charitable causes? 45% of you said yes, and 55% of you said no. Over on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc., Allison writes in, no, I am most likely to support a company based on whether or not the best company for the job. Today's daily poll, also about jobs, but flipping things around a little bit and putting the onus on you. Rabia Khadar will be stopping by in about 40 minutes to talk about the merit of entrepreneurship for people with disabilities, and it got me thinking about the barriers that might stop you from starting your own business. So at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, what is stopping you from starting your own business? Money? Time? No business idea or other. Laura Bain, I do not mean to play the game of, oh, woe is Dave. Dave Brown is busy. But I do have business ideas. I just do not have time to be starting my own business. I think you're a little a little busier than me, uh, but uh, I'm going to say time. I know how you meant time in terms of, of being busy, but I think also time in the sense of, is it the right time in my life to start a Ooh. business? And I feel like for me right now, being in school, it probably isn't. Now, were it the right time, uh, I think other things that would stop me and that have maybe stopped me in the past would be feeling like I don't really know feeling intimidated by all of the things you have to know in order to start a business like uh, taxes and employees and things like that that just feel a little kind of 
nebulous and, and confusing, but, uh, you know, also courage because it's a big risk to start a business. So, Oh, big time. Um, I, I like that you uh, mentioned uh, bureaucracy and paperwork, uh, one of my great fears in life. I prefer to leave my mail unopened whenever possible. I want to be my own boss. I think I would like that, but it's definitely the paperwork that is sort of the hesitation for me. <laughs> That's why you need a business partner. It's like, it's like anything in life. You need partnerships, someone to deal with the weak spots for you. Let's bring in Elizabeth Moeller into this conversation. Elizabeth, none of these things are stopping you. I guess I, yeah, I guess I would have to go into the other. I did start my own very small little business when I started my PhD. And my purpose in doing that was really so that I could have some income on the side, but also be able to control how much I worked. Because typically if you're working for somebody, even part-time, you know, they're setting the schedule and the hours. And I just knew my course schedule and my comprehensive exam schedule would need to take priority. So during COVID, uh, I started my own little business, EM Disability Consulting, and I do um, work on the Accessible Canada Act, as well as doing some accessibility training for employees and people in higher education. I like the idea of a consulting company. As you know, one of the running jokes on the show is throwing the doors of Dave Brown Consulting open. Uh, that URL is still available, though, if somebody wants to uh, scoop it out from, uh, from under me. Elizabeth, if you weren't working in disability consulting, what kind of business would you open? Oh, that's a tough one. Let I me, think let, if I wasn't working I, in disability well, wait, 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 give, give, give it a second to brainstorm. Give it give it a second to brainstorm because okay. I'll give you I'll tell you what I would do. I would own okay. well, first thing I want to do is start a t-shirt company, a drop shipping t-shirt company, because that costs no money to actually start. Uh, that's the time factor. And then once I've put together enough money, I want to open a laundromat. I want to open a laundromat. I think laundry is my is my destiny in this world. Okay, I've given you time to brainstorm. I think I would start something around accessible fitness, still in the disability, but not quite consulting. Hey, all right. I like that. My friends over at Top Shape Fitness in Ottawa would be delighted to hear that. Big shout out to Peter and the hard work he's doing there at his gym. <laughs> Hi, uh, Peter. Laura, what about what about you? If you if you could start a business, what kind of business would you start? Um, well, I'm just wondering what happened to the domes in Northern Alberta, Dave. Oh, oh um, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's my other idea for the Northern Lights. I want to I want to create a Northern Lights resort in Northern Alberta that involves a bunch of domed cottages, and uh, we'd also have like you ooh. know a little pub and some other fun stuff uh, that is based on Alberta's uh, looser recreational uh, laws, uh, so to speak. But Laura, that that's way down the road because that costs a lot of capital to build my uh, Northern Lights resort north of Grand Prairie, Alberta. Yeah, and I, you know, I am doing some freelancing now um, with some sort of accessibility consulting, um, some speaking around disability awareness, and so that's kind of getting into territory of running your own business. Um, but I do have a background as a massage therapist. I'm pursuing, you know, my degree in social work. So perhaps down the road, there's something kind of Ooh. in the health and Ooh. wellness. Uh, Nice. I like okay, I like that one too. Yeah, I like Elizabeth's idea of starting starting some kind of fitness company because I would own a gym. I've worked at gyms before. I really enjoyed that. Although I, I don't know about uh, maintaining the equipment, not really not really handy in that sense. But I would be able to yell slogans at people to keep them uh, pumped up. I love like, it. Yeah, pain is just weakness leaving the body. You know, 1980s bodybuilder <laughs> stuff. At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook. Don't forget if you're maybe even on a little bit on the fence. About but starting your own business and want some more insight and perspective. Season three of Mind Your Own Business is coming this November on AMI-TV. Wednesday, November 15th at 9 p.m. Eastern time is the debut of season three of Mind Your Own Business featuring Kevin Shaw.
columnist on now with Dave Brown and Kelly and Ramya and an entrepreneur. Kevin's a busy, busy man. Meanwhile, vote on the poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Get involved via email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or pick up the phone, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, planning a trip with your accessibility needs in mind can be very stressful. There are some routes you can explore on your next journey, and Upala will offer up some tips. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Traveling means different things for different people. You might like a sense of adventure. Maybe you're more like me and travel to relax. I've talked to you before about the distinction between travel and vacation. I lean towards vacation. Either way, planning any kind of travel when you have a disability can be an added level of stress mostly due to a lack of information about accessibility, where you're heading. So how can you have a great experience and also make sure that your next journey is not plain? Anu Paula has some suggestions. Anu is the founder of Anu Vision Coaching and Consulting. Good morning, Anu. Good morning, Dave. So Anu, you and I have circled this topic before, but what does accessible travel mean to you? Accessible travel to me means that um, you have a system in place so that there are no barriers and and travel is accessible to all. So whether that looks like accessible websites to enable people to book their trips, like whether it's flights or tours with um, minimal, uh, you know, uh, challenges or whether it's the hotel you're staying at, or whether it's the the flights themselves. Like, you know, really, it's like a low barrier. So what about the end goal here? What makes a country, a city, a destination, a region, what makes it accessible? Um, I think in my mind, um, just having certain systems in place, whether it's the infrastructure, and a lot of it could even be around attitudinal um, things as well. Like, you know, just like in terms of the uh, people's attitudes towards people with disabilities as well. Because I think that's part of the challenge as well when it comes to accessibility, you know, how how you're perceived. And that could really make or break a positive or negative ex- a positive experience. Um, so whether it's like the hotel staff or that that awareness around what those needs might look like for different people. So whether it's a person with vision loss or whether it's a wheelchair user, you know, do they have accessible rooms in place? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think a lot of it has to do with your own personal needs, right? There's no standardized yes. experience for a person with a disability. And that's where information comes into play. Where can I find information about potentially my needs? Sometimes it could be, is there Braille lettering on hotel room doors? And I've mm-hmm. noticed more hotels doing that, but it's not 
centralized. How many elevators do you have? inside your hotel right. if there's going to be if there's going to be a broken elevator are there any other ways to get up or down to your room because i have been at hotels where both the elevators have gone down or one of the two has gone down and it's been an absolute nightmare for the hotel guest experience so i think you're talking about these little tidbits of information that can be part of the broader inclusionary experience but one of the issues is that there's no standardization of where to find those tidbits of information. Oh, you go to the airline's website and they tell you about how to deal with a guide dog, but then the airport has their own guide dog policy. And then you don't know if you're gonna be dealing with an airport employee or an airline employee. And then what happens when you get to the hotel? And where's the taxi stand at the airport? And then what happens when you get to the hotel? Is it a 24 hour front desk or is there a late check-in time? How does this all work out? And it makes me think about a total lack of a centralized resource for that information. So it got me thinking this morning about the merit of a centralized place for information of both guidelines for airlines, airports, hotels, all that information in one place. I know it would be a monstrous piece of work to do. It would be a huge undertaking, but I do think there'd be merit. I absolutely agree with that. And and I hear you on what you were talking about in terms of just like, you know, like just trying to figure things out. Like we just came back from Europe, as you know, just a couple of days ago. And I had a, a very interesting experience just in the different cities that we um, we crossed through. And so having a centralized system in place would be huge because then there'd be one place where people could go to and find the information that they needed. Um, people would be appropriately trained to provide that information. And uh, yes, you're right, it would be a huge uh, undertaking, but I think it would it would be massive because I think we're seeing more and more people with disabilities are getting out there and traveling. And so um, that's, you, you're making my mind kind of work now. Like that could be a project, you know? I don't know. Like I, I think that there's lots to uh, work with there. I think it, it would could, be I, interesting. I, it would be a project. It would be a serious undertaking. But I also think about sort of the voluntary nature of it, right? That if you reached out to enough big corporations, enough big hotel mm -hmm. corporations, they might be willing to make that information a little bit more available in a centralized place. And frankly, if one of the big corporations doesn't want to engage in that practice, then too bad. They're out, yeah. right? Like, like sometimes yeah. you talk about the power of the dollar and the power of commerce, and sometimes you have to say okay if this if this organization or this company is not going to be a team player i'm not going to lose any hair over them i'm just going to platform the good ones and the ones that aren't going to cooperate they're just not going to get my dollars they're not going to get my cash yeah yeah no doubt and i i think that just the whole um topic of accessibility is becoming more and more uh, prevalent and I think slowly but surely, I mean, I, I mean, we have a lot of work to do for sure, but I think companies are slowly getting it or at least their awareness is becoming more greater just because there are so many advocates out there and bloggers and, you know, media and everything. So I feel like with time, uh, we could get there, actually. There's potential. Yeah. I also wonder if there's a collaboration with some of, like, the more uh, recognized certification programs out there. I know, for example, uh, they're not they're not perfect, but the, the Rickanson program yeah. does their certifications. I wonder if there'd be sort of a mixing of information you could do there where you're using their evaluations that's publicly available and sort of mm -hmm. concentrating that into something more centralized. But again, it's a massive undertaking of work and, once again, puts the onus on the person 
person with the disability to track down the hodgepodge information, which is unfair. Like by, by its nature, it's unfair, but it's also the reality of the world that we live in. Yeah, but but I think in general, like any traveler, I mean, they do have to do their their part of research as yes. well. Like you know, with my husband, I mean, like to plan this European trip that we did, he did months of research to try and figure things out. And you learn as you read and you speak to people and things like that. So I think that goes for anybody. But I think there's that extra layer when it comes to people with disabilities because not only are we trying to just, just like find the information, but I think it's also about navigating websites which are not always accessible yes. and so that can be extremely frustrating and time consuming. Anu, there's another option on the table for folks, and there are companies that provide travel op travel options for people with disabilities that essentially boils down to group travel, right? If you think about maybe some of these seniors' trips, it's a little bit more tailored towards people with disabilities, putting them in a group and doing group tours together. What are your thoughts on that? I, I know that I personally don't think I would enjoy that very much because I like to be a my own free spirit when I travel. I don't like to be on somebody else's schedule. But how what are your thoughts around these companies that are a little bit more designed to create group tours for people with disabilities? Well, I think there's benefit for people um, who would uh, lean into that because they're like not everybody's a, a planner and a, and a researcher. And, you know, so some people just want to pay the money and, and have someone, you know, plan everything out for them. They just show up and, and have a good time. And uh, some people aren't as, you know, shy of being among you know, people that they don't necessarily know. Um, so I think that could definitely work for a lot of people. We saw a group um, when we were in, um, I think it was uh, Spain, and um, there was a, it was a seniors group, and um, and they were having a great time, you know. So I think there's definitely uh, advantages to just uh, paying the money and having someone plan everything out for you. Now, the the other side of that is that you know you may not have the flexibility that you want because there are certain things that you may want to see or experience which may not be part of the tour yeah you know or you may want to just kind of like go out and about and do your own thing but <laughs> a lot of these tours what happens is that they it's it's very you know strict so you're in one city could could only be for a day you know so you may want to check something out and that might take a little bit longer. So yeah. I think there are pros and cons, like, you know, with anything. Yeah, the, the merit is that somebody else has done some of that informational uh, gleaning, learning about mm. the accessibility of a space. They're probably going to ensure that you're staying at a hotel that meets accessibility yes. and accommodation needs. It means you're going to be going places that are probably going to meet your accessibility and accommodation needs. You're going to have more of a guided tour experience. I see the merit there. Like I said, I'm a free spirit, though. I like to sleep in. I like to vacation on my own schedule. Uh, you've, yeah. you've spent time with me once when I was on vacation, and I was grateful yeah. that you said, let's meet at 6 p.m. I was like great I can sleep in and take a nap today and still see a new so uh, yeah so like, like I, I'm, I'm a little bit more of my own spirit but I'm also I'm also lucky right I've got some privilege about where I'm at with my disability I can basically cope uh, with some help from Google Maps and occasionally from humans but a new I yeah. do worry a little bit when you think about the group trip plan that it becomes a little bit of a segregation, right? That it kind of once again says, okay, people with disabilities, here's the experience that you get to have. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. When I was planning for this segment, that's exactly what I was thinking as well, because, you know, you're not among 
the let's say the mainstream you know community so you're in a segregated group not only that but if you're um with people with different types of disabilities, then, you know, the needs are going to be different. Those experiences might be different. So I, I can't even imagine, like, if some if, if tour planners, you know, are planning, you know, excursions and things like that, you know, trying to find activities and experiences that meet everyone's needs, like, that would be pretty challenging. Yeah. But um, but I but I definitely agree that there's a lot to be said about um, you know, just like mixing everybody together because that's part of that rich experience and where you just are part of the community, you know, where yeah. it's not like a segregated group. Anu, this is an interesting topic. Thank you for bringing it to the table. Have a lovely day. Thank you for waking up a little bit early there on the West Coast to engage in the conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that's Anu Paula, founder of A New Vision Coaching and Consulting. Coming up after the break, Fat Bear Week captured the attention of social media earlier this month. Lawrence Gunther will talk about the annual event that's more than meets the paw. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Fat Bear Week captured the imagination of social media again this year. Katmai National Park in Alaska showed off just how bulky their bears got ahead of winter hibernation. There's more to Fat Bear Week than just voting on chunky furry friends. Lawrence Gunther wants to go beyond the bear necessities. He's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther on AMI-audio. Good morning, Lawrence. David, hello. Lawrence Fat Bear Week is more than meets the claw. There's an origin story here. How did it get started? Back in uh, 2012, they had Fat Bear Tuesday, and that evolved over time to Fat Bear Week, and then the competition, right? So uh, people started dialing in using these wireless virtual cameras that so you can stream online. And uh, in 2022, over a million people voted on the champion of the who they thought was the uh, chubbiest of the bears of, of the pile, you know? <laughs> yeah, democracy at its finest. Uh, it's not yeah. actually, there's no scale involved. People are voting on who the fattest bear is. Uh, Lawrence, this breed of bear, why are they so special? They're the brown bears. Brown bears are the largest bears. In no, the world. I'm the brown bear. <laughs> <laughs> These are the browner bears, then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the browner bears are the largest bears in the world. And, uh, and you know, they're the same as the grizzly bears, right? The grizzly bears are brown bears, except they their hair is slightly a different color. It's more translucent. That gives it that grizzled look. Grizzly bears also live in the Rocky Mountains, so they're, they don't get access to the same supply of food. These brown bears live in uh, Katmai, Alaska, near the Brooks River. And they have access to one of the healthiest runs of sockeye salmon left in the world. So for six months every year, these bears are just you know, grazing on uh, sockeye salmon from the Brooks River and getting chubbier and chubbier every day. Uh, Lawrence, to me, a bear is a bear is a bear. They're adorable, but a bear is a bear is a bear. So what's the technology they're using to track and distinguish the bears? 
Well, cameras aside, right, that's a visual thing. It's a perceptions thing. And that's how the votes are cast. You know, people look and they they can tell one bear from the other based on the colors and 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 the and the various distinct features of each bear. But the scientists are actually getting into, uh, you know, determining size using lasers. You know, they they have ways of now measuring bears without having to first dart them, you know, put them to sleep and then and then wrestle them into slings and lift them up and weigh them. And some biologists actually say that every time you dart a bear, it remembers. It remembers you coming, seeing you, and then, you know, you're pointing the weapon at it and then getting really, feeling really groggy and falling asleep, waking up with your, your smell all over it, feeling really horrible. And some say, you know, if you do this uh, 15, 20 times to a bear, which some bears are, are you know, tranquilized that many times in their life, they can get quite aggressive after a while. They, they just learn to hate you. So this way, using the lasers, which is what they're doing now, they perfected this using the, uh, the Brooks River brown bears as, as an example. They can now measure their size pretty accurately without ever having to sort of get close to the bears and and physically, you know, molest or alter or, or hurt the bears in any way whatsoever. And that, so that's really helping out as well. This this competition is bringing this to light, and and this could become the new way of sort of non, you know non sort of invasive ways of of doing bi um, animal biology in the wild what's the merit of tracking the actual weights like, like i get the merit of voting yeah. on social mm -hmm. media and having a lot of fun and looking at cute bears but what's the merit of these park officials actually tracking the weights of the bears they know then how healthy they are right that the stronger the bigger the more muscle mass they have in the summer and the more blubber they have going, going into the fall. So they'll know, okay, they had a good summer. Look at, look at all the weight they put on in the spring. They can measure them again to see, you know, how well they did over the season, how hungry they are. And, you know, they can determine, are they going to be, you know, are they getting access to sufficient food? If not, you know, they could become more of a nuisance to, to human settlements, right? When bears can't feed, find enough food in the wilderness, they come into town and, and look for food in town. And they don't prefer to do that, but, you know, they do what they need to do. They'll start stealing dog food, breaking into garbage cans, and possibly even into your home to, to get your food out of your kitchen. Yeah, there's a video going around on social media this week of a bear breaking into a dip in her and just taking a whole lasagna out of the freezer. So that bear's talking about language. I thought you were about the one that took the gummy bears and walked into a gas station uh, quickie and, and just strolled down the aisle. And the guy's just filming the thing the whole time. And the bears stopped at the rack picked out the gummy bears and left. Yeah, that, that's that's some impulse buying right there from the bear. <laughs> so so this year had a first-time winner, Grazer. There was some controversy yeah. about this. People felt as though uh, the angle of the picture that was taken of Grazer was misleading. But what set Grazer apart from the rest? Well, Grazer, come on. She, she's a big bear. Everyone knows she's a big female bear. She shows up every summer. She's a mother. But she beat out the old favorite Otis, right? Otis has been the champion for the last four years. He's been, he's a big male. He's the favorite by for many, many people. He always shows up skinny and lean in the spring. And by the end of the, uh, you know, by October, when they've cast their votes, he's, he's pretty bulked up. But this year, you know, the, the, the female bears beat out the male. So Grazer uh, came in first place and she actually beat out second place, uh, Chunk, by 85,000 votes. Wow. So two females, you know, two sow bears uh, take positions one and two and actually three as well. So, so the three top bears this year were all females.
Okay, I've got to do a little bit of described video here, uh, Lawrence, because Kingsley Juco and the gang in our control room have some awesome pictures of the bear. So I'm gonna turn nice. off my camera and turn to the monitor here and see if I can do a little bit of on-the-fly described video, a before mm -hmm. and after picture of Grazer in the springtime looking quite thin, looking like a little bit of skin hanging off the body, some bones sticking out at the top, sort of a beautiful golden color and then there was some blonde videos ears. showing of she has blonde ears eh? She yeah has blonde colored ears That's blonde amazing. colored ears amazing and then there was yeah. some video they were showing before of grazer in the river poking at some salmon which looks like me at the buffet <laughs> at the end of the night and then on the far right on the screen now we've got grazer at the end of the season looking uh very 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 filled in what were some skinny legs before are looking uh pretty thick with two c's and that is a wide wide body i'd say probably double or triple the size of Grazer from the spring. So Grazer had a good eating season this year for uh, Grazer. So well done by Grazer heading towards hibernation. Lawrence, I've got a bear question for you. Okay. You're, out, you're out there in the wilderness uh, fairly often. What's your approach to bear safety? Well, it depends on the species, right? So, you know, there's two ways you got to think of this. Black bears are the most common bears around Ontario. That's the only bears we have in Ontario and most of Eastern Canada, uh, Eastern United States. It's always black bears. Black bears are like more like um, big dogs. You know, they can climb trees. They're very fast. They can outrun a horse in a quarter mile race. Oh, man. But they're also very timid. They don't want to be around you. You know, maybe when they're sick and old and their teeth are all decayed and they got a toothache and they, they have no way anymore of ever catching anything to eat or, and they've been out competed by the stronger bears, maybe then they get grumpy and you, you might have a problem with them. But for the most part, black bears want to be left alone. So if you get in the, the same situation as a black bear, the biggest, best thing to do is be big and tall and make a lot of noise. Don't chase them, but don't run away from them. Mm -hmm. Just stand your ground and and they'll they'll leave. But if you have food around, you know, if you have open food and you laid, made your campsite a mess or you have a sandwich in your hand, you might want to toss that and get out of there. Because that's <laughs> what they're smelling, right? They're smelling your food, not you. They're, they're not necessarily interested in eating you. They're interested in eating the food that's on you, the fish, whatever it is you're, you got with you. Yeah. Grizzly bears, totally different situation. Brown bears, totally different. These these are very territorial animals. They know they're the meanest, toughest animals in the, in the territory. They also tolerate, you know, no one getting coming into their space, whether they have cubs or whatever. They just don't like people in their space. They don't want you to touch their food. They don't want to touch whatever there is in their territory, and they'll come at you. So you really, with a grizzly or brown bear, you drop and you roll up into a ball, cover your head, and hope to God you're going to make it through. Oh, okay, wow. That's definitely a different approach there, yeah, with the grizzlies, yeah. the browns. And I assume it's the same deal with the polar bears as well because they're uh, quite vicious as well. Yeah, polar bears, good luck to you. Yeah. Okay, yeah, just, just good luck, yeah. Just flat out good luck. So like, so anything like with bear spray or, or, or a bear horn, anything like that when you're dealing with a grizzly, a brown bear, polar, et cetera? Well, bear spray can be a deterrent for sure. It can give you that little bit of that extra second to get take cover. Uh, if you happen to have a long stick or club, and you give them, you have you're able to give them a whack on the nose. That's their only sensitive spot on their body. You can hit them anywhere else in the body. It's just going to bounce off. But you get them right on the snout. That can be a deterrent as well. Running downhill is uh, bears have trouble running downhill because their front legs are a little shorter than their back legs and they don't like running downhill because they always feel like they're going to tumble and end up doing somersaults. So 
but going up trees with black bears is never a good oh, idea. Dear. Black bears can scramble up trees. Even full-size black bears can scramble up oh, trees way faster than we can. Maybe we can get to a higher branch than a big 300, 400-pound black bear. That's our only hope. But again, you know, you're running away from a black bear. Last thing you want to do is you want to stand your ground with a black bear. Uh, Lawrence, I also know some outdoors companies make, uh, especially when you're talking about the brown bear or grizzly bear experience, they actually mm. make backpacks that are designed to protect you in those scenarios, or at least like to mitigate and potentially protect you. But again, mm -hmm. if, if you're curled up in a ball and a grizzly's on top of you, that backpack's only going to go so far. You protect your back, your neck, and your head. So you pull that knapsack up, you get into a, a ball, and you're protecting your neck and head where they're going to try to bite you, and uh, hopefully Oof. they'll get bored at some point. On the flip side, bears mm -hmm. are so cute. What's your level of temptation to cuddle a bear? Only the cubs, Dave. When they, when they lost their mommies and they're crying, you want to pick them up oh. and hug, hug them in your arms until they settle down and, you know, you get them back to sleep. And and that's the best thing to do for with a bear cub. I'm kidding, Dave. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Kidding. Definitely do not touch a bear cub when mama <laughs> might be around the corner. She's not going to appreciate that. But no, but earnestly, like, like again, I know it's dangerous, but I'm assuring you of your safety, Lawrence. Would you yeah. hug a bear? No. No. Okay. I, would I bite a bear? Would I try to poke at a bear in the eye if it was mauling me? Like, black bear, you got to fight back. Absolutely got to fight oh, back. Was... And, uh, you know, grizzly bears, you're not going to you're not going to win that fight with a black bear, though. You may have a chance. Right. If you have a pocket knife, if you have anything, a rock, a, a stick, you know, anything that might help you. Brown bears, grizzly bears, they, they'll just give up if they think you're dead. So play dead. And then they're going to come back and eat you when you're ripen a little bit or when they, you know, when they check, look around and oh, see dear. what else is going on. But uh, yeah, black bears, you want to fight back. Well, if a bear is eating me to death, I'm going to sneak in a couple cuddles regardless. Lawrence, <laughs> thank you for this. <laughs> Welcome, Dave. That's Lawrence Gunther. He's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. You can find that show weekends at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio in 60 seconds. There's snow in the prairies, and that's a concern. Elizabeth Moeller will have that in the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Rob Westgate with your morning business minutes. The energy and metals sectors pulled Bay Street lower on Monday. Toronto's S&P TSX losing 69 points to close at 19,047. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 191 points down to 32,936, while the Nasdaq rose 35 points to 13,018. Overseas now, where Asian markets were mostly higher today, Japan's Nikkei finishing up 63 points at 31,062. Benchmarks rose in Sydney, Seoul, Shanghai and Taiwan, but fell in Hong Kong. Unifor is set to bargain on behalf of more than 2,800 grocery store workers at Loblaw's own stores in Ontario, and Newfoundland and Labrador, testing whether the union can bring the gains it made for Toronto Metro workers to other grocery chains. And a House of Commons committee is asking the heads of Canada's major grocery chains to explain their plans to stabilize food prices. As for the loonie, it's trading this morning at 73.16 cents US. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Rob Westgate. Thank you very much, Rob. Let's head over to Elizabeth Moeller for the weather reports. Elizabeth, the prairies are getting hit with some snow. 
They sure are. I guess it's later than than normal, but some would say better late than other. Uh, never. Maybe others would say better never. I don't know. But after parts of Alberta receive their first major snowfall, folks in Saskatchewan can now join in the snow show. A blast of Arctic air seeping into the prairies will bring temperatures plummeting to freezing. As if the sudden return of the chilly air wasn't enough, snow is expected to fall over a portion of the province, more specifically Highway 16 and the Trans-Canada Highway, so do take care. Timing the snow event out, the first sign of accumulated snowfall will dr drifted into the province last evening as that Arctic front sweeps its way east out of Alberta with Maple Creek and Swift Current seeing the first of the snowfall. Lucky them. The heaviest snowfall will target Regina and it will extend north towards Saskatoon. This will make for a chaotic morning commute as the snow falls across two of the major provinces highways. So do take care and leave yourself some extra time as you're commuting in those prairie provinces. I suggest people in the prairies have their snow tires ready. Thank mm, you, Elizabeth. Or, yes, or their snow cane tips. Or that too. <laughs> Coming up next, have you ever considered starting your own business? Rabia Khader will share some thoughts on entrepreneurship for people with disabilities. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Disability Employment Awareness Month rolls on. You are deeply aware that people with disabilities are underrepresented in the workforce. Companies are trying to correct that with more inclusive hiring. But maybe you don't want to work for someone else. Maybe you want to work for yourself. Rabia Khadar is the National Director for Disability Without Poverty. Rabia has thoughts on more people with disabilities becoming entrepreneurs. Hey, good morning, Rabia. How are you? Good morning, Dave. I'm great. Nice to chat with you once again. Really interesting topic in the context of Disability Employment Awareness Month. Why do you think entrepreneurship is a good option for someone with a disability? Well, people with disabilities are still vastly unemployed or underemployed. And, you know, in a competitive workplace, depending on the types of barriers they face, they run into many, many, many obstacles because, you know, although we have all these employment programs, we don't really get that creative at accommodating disabled people so that they can be fully productive and contributing. Everybody wants to contribute, everyone, everybody wants to be productive and earn. Unfortunately, we've designed society for able-bodied people, mm. and hence we've designed jobs for able-bodied people. So entrepreneurship helps overcome some of those barriers because 
I, as a person with a disability, am in control. I'm the boss. <laughs> I love I love the idea of control and being able to identify the barriers that you want to address directly. But it doesn't mean there aren't still barriers in actually starting your own business. So what are some of the barriers that might prevent someone with a disability from getting their business off the ground or getting started? Well, again, when it comes to employment, we have lots of services that help people you know, fix up their resume, uh, get out there and, and get some interviews happening. They get some job coaching happening. Uh, you know, maybe there are um, employment uh, subsidies offered to employers to hire someone with a disability. So there's a lot more support to seek out a job in you know, government in, in the corporate sector and within, you know, that whole landscape of employers. However, when it comes to self-employment, if you don't know how to start a business, there isn't necessarily accessible uh, information or opportunities out there for you to learn. Uh, you need help and support in gaining some uh, self-employment self skills. There aren't any programs necessarily, or they're far and few between. And again, uh, money. You yeah. know, you need a loan. You need, uh, you know, you, you, you need financial support to start a business. And as a person with a disability, especially if you're living in poverty, you don't have assets as collateral to get a loan, for example. Right. I was thinking about that too, Rabia, because I was thinking about uh, the accounting and the bureaucracy, getting a loan, opening a corporate bank account, uh, even things like designing your own website. Listen, it's getting better. WordPress is making it easier to design a web a website at a low cost. There are things like uh, Shopify to build to build e-commerce sites, but none of these things are guaranteed easy. There, there's a huge learning curve on every single one of them, and if you're going to work for yourself, then you have to address that learning curve libre solo, just by yourself. Yes, you have to address it by yourself, but you also have to know what you need, yeah. right? So, I mean, I always resort to storytelling, Dave. So let me let me just talk about me. You know, uh, end of two thousand and one, I had enough of working for someone else because. I did not feel that what I was doing was really contributing to what I wanted to see in the world. Uh, I was working for actually an employment agency supporting people with disabilities, and I felt like we really weren't addressing the supports that people needed. So I had a lot going on in my life. You know, I was a person with a disability. I faced barriers to transportation. I needed some supports at work. Even though this was a disability service provider, I just didn't quite feel supported. I had other, uh, you know, lived experience challenges. I had siblings with disabilities, with intellectual disabilities, having stuff go on, and I need to support my family. I also had young children, and I just up and quit my job one day. Mm. I was lucky, you know, my husband worked in IT, he had a steady job, so I could afford to take that chance a little bit. But I quit my job and I said, I'm gonna do this on my own. I'm gonna consult. I started to consult. And, you know, I, I describe myself as a social entrepreneur these days because I also saw gaps and I decided to set up organizations to address those gaps. And, you know, um, 
after setting up some nonprofits in 2013, I established a registered charity called Dean Support Services, which is fully operational now that I'm also the CEO of. And I have a number of people with disabilities and without disabilities that work for me. And we offer programs and services for disabled people. Mm. And one of the areas we want to look at in the future is entrepreneurship, because so many of the folks that we support with vision loss, with physical disabilities, with intellectual disabilities, face barriers to employment, cannot work full time or in a competitive work environment. So we're looking at what kind of social enterprise or social purpose business can we set up that can help them develop skills, give them some, you know, opportunity to, to you know, have shared ownership, a more, a bigger stake in the business rather than just being an employee and, and allow them to fully contribute to the best of their abilities. Rabia, you said something interesting there in terms of the diversity of businesses that you created over time. What kind of questions should an aspiring entrepreneur ask themselves in regard to the kind of business they want to create, whether that be social enterprise, a not-for-profit, or maybe even just a regular old corporation? Well, first off, they need to find their passion. What are they passionate about? What can they do? Who's around them that can help them? What kind of skills and supports will they need? You know, do they want to be selling products online? Do they want to, you know, establish a coffee shop? What is it that they exactly want to do? They need to figure out what kind of skills they have, what kind of business they want to run. And, you know, a coffee shop can be just an old-fashioned storefront business, or it could be a nonprofit coffee shop, and that way, you know, whatever money is made is spent within the business to hire people to improve products. Uh, it could be, you know, also a, a marketing uh, sort of uh, twist, right? That your nonprofit people want to support you. It could be a social enterprise, which, you know, makes profit and again shares that profit amongst the people they, it supports and, and invests into the supports needed to really offer a, a, a wholesome employment experience, a fulsome mm. employment experience in which disabled people are equally contributing and equally benefiting. Along those lines, let's say somebody chooses not-for-profit or something that's a little more social enterprise-oriented. How hard is it for an entrepreneur to set boundaries, whether that be time management, commitment to a bunch of people, or even how much they might charge for their own services or product? Well, a nonprofit mindset is terrible, Dave. Like, I have worked in nonprofit and I end up, you know, being asked to speak at events and things like that. And I know people charge like big bucks to do those things, right? I have a hard time negotiating those numbers because. I'm a bleeding heart nonprofit, right? Mm. So I my mindset isn't always geared toward, you know, competition and big bucks. So, you know, I've had to learn over the years to say, hey, whatever you will pay a white able-bodied man, you can pay me as a racialized disabled woman, you know? Mm. Um, mm. Um, but essentially you do end up working 24 hours a day round the clock because it's it becomes your baby.
you know, like Dean Support Services is my baby. Disability Without Poverty is is my and my colleagues' baby. We nurture, even though, you know, we're contracted to support the organization, we've been involved from inception, we live, eat, and breathe the issues because they impact us, so we give it our all. And that's what contributes to success. If you cannot give it your all, if you cannot contribute, you know, 24 seven to the success of your entrepreneurial aspirations, it's very hard to succeed. Uh, Rabia, I don't mean to get you in trouble here because I know all of a sudden it can turn into uh, the naming game and we're leaving people out. That's actually why I'm going to sit this question out because I've done so many stories over the years about entrepreneurs with disabilities that if I start shouting out one or two, I'm going to get loads of hate mail coming my way uh, after the show. But who are some entrepreneurs with disabilities that you want to shout out? You work so closely uh, in this industry, in this business. I mean, there's there's lots of people working on their own, right? There are, and and I'm not going to name them either, Dave. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we don't want to okay. make any enemies. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to make any enemies. I mean, somebody that I don't know that I hear a lot about because of the awards that she's won and the recognitions is is Mayan Ziv for mm. for her entrepreneurial um, initiative. Um, but also there are, you know, there are lots of social enterprise cafes, um, cleaning businesses, you know, little uh, bake shops and stuff that have popped up, you know, all across the country in different places to support people with disabilities to have meaningful employment opportunities or, or earn livelihoods, you know, uh, for, for folks with mental health issues, for folks with uh, developmental disabilities often. Uh, these efforts are, are made and there are successful businesses out there. I, 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 Rabia, that was so diplomatically done. Uh, very, very well done by you across the board. Rabia, thank you for this. Have a lovely day. Thank you for bringing this topic to the table. You too. Thanks, Dave. That's Rabia Khader, the National Director of Disability Without Poverty. In a moment, the Rolling Stones have a new record. Laura Bain will talk about them in the Entertainment Report. But first, a major dating app is trying something new. Mike Dubusky swipes right in Tech Trends. Tinder is rolling out a new feature it's calling Matchmaker. That lets you hand your Tinder account over to a friend or a family member and they can swipe on your behalf. The idea is maybe someone you know is going to be better at finding you a match than you are. Gizmodo's Thomas Germain says it comes at a crucial moment for the dating app market. Tinder and the entire dating app industry has kind of hit this plateau, right? We saw this explosion during the pandemic where lots of people were signing up because they were stuck at home. But now that growth has slowed. He says that's why we'll likely see more features like Matchmaker. They need to justify all the money that's been dumped into this business by investors, and they're looking for ways to stand out. They're looking for ways to get users' attention. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of these weird new features popping up in the near future. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. Just what you need, more people meddling in your dating life. Shifting over to the world of entertainment, the Rolling Stones have a new album called Hackney Diamonds. Before Laura Bain gives you some details, here's a clip from the music video for Angry. In the clip, a, mu a woman dances and sings to the song while sitting at the back of a red convertible. The car is driving through the streets of Los Angeles and is passing billboards of the band performing.
Laura Bain, I gotta say, uh, it's catchy, but I think you can kind of hear their age a little bit on that track. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, music video, in my opinion, is maybe just a little bit tired in terms of the concept. But uh, <laughs> wait, you, wait a... you mean a beautiful woman in a convertible driving down the streets? <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, music video, in my opinion, is maybe just a little bit tired in terms of the concept. But uh, <laughs> wait, you, wait a... you mean a beautiful woman in a convertible driving down the streets? <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. Um, so this is their first album of original material in nearly two decades. Wow. Now, personally, like that aside, I think they still rock pretty hard for a couple of octogenarians. I didn't mind listening to this album at all. There were some tracks I liked better than others. But in my opinion, nothing on Hackney Diamonds even comes close to touching their greatest work. Um, like you think back to, I mean, you know, some of those classic Stones albums, but uh, I mean, reviews I, I, have like, been I've, mixed. I've, I've said this before, uh, Exile on Main Street is maybe my favorite rock album, Ooh, certainly of its era, but maybe even of all time. Exile on Main Street is a wicked, wicked album. Interesting. I, yes, I'm a, I'm a Let It Bleed fan. Oh, what a record. Yeah. Uh, so as I said, reviews have been mixed. Uh, so Pitchfork wrote, alongside producer Andrew Watt, they turn every trick they can to conjure just one more hit, one more chance to cash in. Ooh. Um, oh, dear. So sort of questioning the motivation there. Um, and indeed, uh, the Stones have partnered with Major League Baseball to sell limited edition Hackney Diamond vinyl emblazoned with your favorite team logo. So, Dave, does the merchandising aspect change your perception of the artistic merit of the album? <laughs> I mean, I don't know about the artistic merit, but it definitely is a capitalism at its finest in the entertainment industry. I give them points for creativity because in the world of streaming, what can you do to actually get someone to buy physical media that makes it different? I'm not sure what the correlation between uh, the demographic of baseball fan and Rolling Stones fan is, but they're older men because that does tend to track towards uh, baseball's demo. What do you think of the merchandising? Like, you know, points for creativity, but I don't think it's really going to move me on whether or not I'm going to buy the album. I'm glad you said it, Dave. I was nervous to say, like, hmm, maybe, like, older men. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, given the wealth of uh, of Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, it doesn't make me question the artistic merit that much. I think it makes me feel a little icky, and I was questioning why that is. I think it's because there's certain genres of music, like like rock, that have anti-establishment sort of counterculture roots and merchandising would be the antithesis of that. Um, but then at the same time, like, who are we kidding? You've been able to get Rolling Stones merchandise at, you know, Walmart and the dollar store for forever. Yeah, yeah, like like the image of the tongue sticking out of the mouth with the lips and the teeth, the sort of 40 licks, if you will, has been their calling card forever. Like that t-shirt is available at every website and every uh, trendy little store that exists because that that logo has stood the test of time. For sure. Now, so I got the feeling you're not the the biggest fan of that track we played, but I'm wondering what do you look for in a new album from veterans such as the Stones at this oh. stage of their career? You know, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. You sent me this question yesterday and I've been grappling with it for about 24 hours. Oh, good. <laughs> I I think I'm I, okay, this is going to sound like a contradiction. 
I'm looking for something that sounds familiar, but that builds off the familiarity. So I'm looking for something that has a root in something that I like about the band, but then does it a little bit more creatively. I'll, I'll cite you an example. Now, Death Cab for Cutie has not been around for as long as the Rolling Stones. They've only been around for about 23 years. But what they do album to album is they're building a little bit on their sound, whether that be adding a new effect or trying a new guitar or doing something to enrich the overall body of what they're doing, while still sort of sticking with that beautiful sonic aesthetic they've been using for years. So it's about little changes that push you forward, but to stay in the familiar that I enjoy. And Laura, I know that a lot of artists would probably despise that take because they would say, I want freedom to do whatever I please. I'm an artist and you will consume it. You will, you will eat what I feed you. Yeah. No, I think it's sort of the same for me. And I think this album does sound very familiar and the Stones familiar sound is good. You know, it's, it's, it stood the test of time, but I don't necessarily want them to say, sound the same way they did when they were like 20, 30, 40. Um, I mean, they're 80. I kind of want to see that evolution reflected in their music and maybe singing about some different topics than yeah. they were. It kind of is a little strange. It's like, really, is this the same sort of existential <laughs> stuff you guys are grappling with at 80 that you were at 30? But it, I mean, you know, it passes the the head bopping test for me. Yeah. So I'm not going to complain if someone puts it on, but it's a little, you know, maybe a little, a little stale. Yeah. Me, Laura, we're way over time here. So I apologize. But my thought would be maybe try to go down that Johnny Cash road late in his career where that was more covers rather mm -hmm. than original music, but it did show a sort of reflection of someone thinking about their own mortality. But on that super yeah. happy note, I say goodbye and have a lovely day. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Davey, too. <laughs> That's Laura Bain with the Entertainment Report. Coming up after the break, British Columbia is trying to tear down some regulations for foreign workers to get certified in the province. I've got that story in the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, October the 24th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Holland Bloorview Hospital has developed a decision aid tool for autistic young adults in the workplace. Courtney Weaver will tell you about it. And it's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Brock Richardson is going to get into the mix alongside Karen McGee and Elizabeth Moeller. They'll battle it out for bragging rights. But the hour begins with the regional news update. Beginning in British Columbia, the BC government has introduced legislation that aims to reduce barriers for internationally trained workers. The legislation will require regulatory bodies to remove barriers affecting 29 different professions. They include veterinarians, lawyers, teachers, paramedics, early childhood educators, architects, engineers, and natural resource professionals. Premier David Eby describes the current process for recertifying. And yet, in our province, we have many unfair processes uh, that force new arrivals to British Columbia to go through uh, incredibly complex 
contradictory, uh, hard to understand, expensive, repetitive processes that are frustrating and ultimately cause people to give up. Over to the prairies, the town of Cochrane, Alberta is dealing with a sewage leak into the Bow River. An update on the town's website says the town was still working with a contractor to repair pipes that were damaged over the weekend. Both the town of Cochrane and downstream the city of Calgary say their drinking water remains safe. Residents are reporting that it smells real funky. Calgary officials have increased water quality monitoring. Over to Ontario. Ontario's new housing minister says the province will not be expanding some urban boundaries. Paul Calandra says the previous housing minister's office was too involved in changing the official plans of cities and regions across Ontario. The process uh, is, was one that I was, I was just not comfortable with. I think there was just a little bit too much involvement uh, from the previous, uh, from individuals within the previous minister's office uh, on the official plans in these areas. The province had plans to expand urban boundaries all over the province. A few notable spots included Ottawa and Hamilton. And finally, in the Atlantic region, Newfoundland and Labrador's Auditor General has taken a closer look at the spending habits of Memorial University. The audit found the school has the highest administrative salaries per student compared to similar universities. The report found that nearly a third of the school's expenses are decided by its president and are not reviewed by its governing board. So one of those findings, former university president Vianne Timmins claimed $2,700 in office furniture expenses that were used to buy a desk and chair for her home. That's your look at the regional news. Here comes Brock Richardson for a sports chat. The Major League Baseball playoffs roll on, but the American League Championship Series is in the books. The Texas Rangers are headed to the World Series. Texas turfed the Houston Astros 11-4 in Game 7. Rangers manager Bruce Bochy offered up some love for his team. This team has played with as much heart and determination as any club I've had, and they've all have, but it's just amazing how they kept getting up. I mean, we went through some ups and downs this year with the injuries, with the, you know, we, we ran into a lot of streaks. Texas outfielder Adolis Garcia homered twice and drove in five runs in Game 7. He won the ALCS MVP. Rangers second baseman Marcus Simeon praised all aspects of Garcia's game. He's an animal, you know, he's, he's got power to all fields, he's a great defender, great arm, great base runner, five-tool player, works extremely hard, he's our leader, you know, people don't talk about him as a leader, he's a leader. In the National League, the Arizona Diamondbacks have forced a Game 7 in the NLCS. Arizona cheese-staked the Philadelphia Phillies 5-1 last night. The D-backs scored some early runs, and Arizona manager Tori Lovello explains why that mattered. Those early runs let us exhale a little bit. It's an elimination game for us. We know what's at stake. Uh, we knew what we had to do, and we were, we were in the middle of doing it. I think we just started to relax a little bit and we just continue to capitalize throughout, throughout the course of the day. Brock, starting with Game 7 in the American, Champion, the American League Championship Series, the Battle of Texas is officially over. Look, I mean, I... I I love cliche clips, but at the same time, I I don't like them because it's so easy to say. But I have to agree with Bruce Bochy in that they, the Texas Rangers, played really really well. Like they just just steamrolled at times and really 
played seriously well at all aspects, uh, fielding, everything. So good on them for getting where they got to. Uh, you mentioned it, Adolis Garcia, unbelievable. Like this guy just hits anything that's in the zone and just, I'll just hit this, no problem. Uh, this guy's going to be a tall task for either team, uh, which comes out of the other side. Um, it's just been a, a great series to watch. Dave, the one question I would have for you in this series, why do you think the home team struggled so much in not winning a game in this series? Yeah, an entire series where neither home team won a single game. Uh, definitely a surprising thing in the context of the conversation that people talk about home field advantage. I wonder, Brock, if it has a little bit to do with the fact that they're in the same same state and they're in the same division. Texas visiting Houston is no big deal. Houston visiting Texas is no big deal. I, I don't even know if they fly to these games, Brock. They could probably take the luxury bus between Dallas and Houston or Arlington and Houston. I, I, I just think that this familiarity here, it's not home field advantage unless you do something grueling. And I don't think playing in the same state a couple hours down the highway constitutes grueling. No, because you probably, and and they likely don't, but you could do do the travel like within, you know, hours of the game. Maybe you arrive there at, you know, 3 p.m. Yeah, on well, a I game, wouldn't do that. Whatever. I wouldn't do that. But I mean, I mean, like when you're going town to town, you're not trying to schlep onto the airplane and no. do this and do that. You get the big, comfortable luxury bus and you're just chilling. Yeah, no, totally. I uh, just want to uh, make mention of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, Cortel Marte is having an unbelievable playoffs for Arizona. It's also nice to see that he's not the only guy that's contributing. This lineup up and down is having success. It's great to see. Nobody expected them to be where they are. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Well, I did. I know, I know you did, but <laughs> I, I and you know what, Dave? It took me a while to get here, but but maybe they do pull this off tonight. Um, we'll see. But I think the Philadelphia Phillies are going to come out pretty angry that they got, you know, ousted on home field in game six. So we'll see how game seven goes. But Lourdes Gurriel Jr. continues to just add more home runs and make Blue Jays fan jealous of, you know, what he's doing now. But I, I choose to look at it as, look, good for him. He's He's doing well. And I... Hope that he brings his team to the World Series because I would love it. Well, the thing that the Diamondbacks are doing are they're manufacturing runs, right? It's not all big bop and big home runs to push uh, runs across the plate. They're getting guys on base and they're moving guys on base and they're getting those big hits in big moments with the occasional home run. The series was almost looking like it was going to be over on Friday night and they erased a 5-2 deficit before winning the game in the bottom of the ninth. They won game three and game four in the bottom of the ninth inning. That's super impressive stuff. The Diamondbacks have been slithering, slithering their way through the playoffs and it sets up a very interesting game seven tonight just after 8 p.m. Eastern time on Sportsnet. Brock, no time to talk about basketball today. Save your basketball thoughts, your NBA season preview thoughts for tomorrow, but that season does get underway tonight as well i believe those games are on tsn brock have a great day sounds good we'll talk to you in a little while that is brock richardson at the ami sports desk coming up after the break how important are online reviews for the things you buy in the online shopping sphere and do you 
try to spot the fake reviews. I think I've got a pretty keen eye and ear for it now. Let's find out if Nazreen Abdel-Majid and Elizabeth Moeller do as well. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI to AMI today. That's not the show. It's AMI TV, although it is indeed today. Elizabeth Moeller, you have online reviews on the brain. Why? I do. Yes. So some of the most used platform for travel and shopping, such as Amazon and Expedia, TripCentral, they're teaming up to build some best practices around trustworthy reviews and how to detect some false reviews. And I thought this would be an interesting topic to bring to the table, looking at how do we know if a review is credible or not? So I'll pitch it to Nazreen first. Nazreen, how do you know, or what what do you look at to determine if an online review is credible? So for me, I focus on looking at reviews for Amazon or a clothing uh, shopping brand business. Um, that's what I focus on rather than restaurants and other locations. However, I still look at them, but I, when I focus on these things, for example, Amazon, I look at people who post pictures of their product and see how mm. their product turns mm. out. That's how I know it's legitimate. That's for a good example, one. Sheen, Sheen is the same thing. I look at people who share their product, the pictures of their product and see how it turns out. And that's how I know it's real. Because I know a lot of these things, you know, people pay for these bots, uh, people just write random good reviews just to kind of gain more views and and, uh, gain more attention. So it is kind of risky. You never know. But what I look at is people being repetitive in the review section when people are being repetitive, you know, different different usernames, but kind of similar. And they're saying pretty much the same thing. Oh, this was great. This, that was good kind of thing like that. I'm, this is an example, but often when it's kind of like that, you know, it's just, it's, it's a bot. Well, that's it. You're talking about formulaic, right? It looks like they're working off a template saying, oh, yeah. I bought this for my husband and he loves it. And then you see that yes. splintered eight or nine times in the first 20 reviews. And you're like, how many people are buying this for their husband and how many husbands <laughs> yeah. actually loved it? Yeah, um, yeah I, I think Nizreen's onto it there, Elizabeth. I'm looking for what I would call sort of written by a human language. Yeah. Like, what yeah. do these sentences read like? Do they read like a human would have written them? Or uh, are they formulaic? Does it seem like it's a template that maybe they've plugged in a couple words to change things around? I think Nizreen's policy of are there pictures posted is a really mm-hmm. good, good one. one. I also yeah. look for actual observations. Right, not just, oh, this was great, or oh, I loved this. Why did you love this? What was the feature that ended up being a benefit to you? Also, Mm. I typically just don't look at five-star or one-star reviews. I want to see what the three-star people said, because Mm -hmm. those are the people who probably gave you an actual honest review with a little bit of perspective. I just bought a guitar amp on Amazon last week for, like, it was cheap. It was like 40, 50 bucks for a five-watt apartment amp. And I did not look at the five-star reviews. I did look at the one-star reviews. I looked at a bunch of the three-star reviews who were like, 
yeah, it's good enough for what it is. And I'm like, that's exactly what I want to hear. That's precisely what I'm buying. Let's do that. So Elizabeth, I would say that I'm looking for, like Nazreen said, I'm looking for form something that doesn't read formulaically, but something yeah. that also actually has a real observation. That's how I separate credible from just nonsense. Yeah, I think you're really both touching on something, and that is the the honesty piece. So honesty doesn't always have to mean positive. So I think for sure I'm looking for um, description of the actual product beyond just it was good for sure. But looking at you know what what are some things I should be looking out for some pitfalls. So for example, I just bought a smart coffee maker, and the reviews were really helpful because they actually talked about some of the challenges in setting it up. So not necessarily saying the project product was bad, but really saying you need to be mindful of this. You need to watch out for this. And that was, that was really helpful. So the honesty piece, but I think also, you know, just to kind of pick up on what you were saying, I think another really big piece is being able to back it up. So saying like, you know, this is when I bought it, this is what was said it would do. It's, this isn't working the way I want it. So being able to provide some substance is really important. I would agree. Yeah. Substance really matters here. Uh, I don't really know if it's worth us exploring what we would do to safeguard the sanctity of capitalism online, but I'll flip this around. <laughs> Nazreen, how often do you take the time to actually review something? I honestly don't. I, I always say that I would. I always say that I would, but I really don't. What's, if I had what's, a what's, really what's, amazing... What's stopping you? Why aren't you? Um, I get lazy. So, ah, for example, ah. um, I, I'm <laughs> being honest here. I'm being honest here. I get so lazy, and I had a really good... I, I felt so bad because I got a TV recently and I had a really good customer service from Best Buy. And he's like, oh, like, you know, write a review. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to write a review <laughs> for sure. You were amazing. You were helpful. And then I totally forgot. And I remembered today right when you sent that email out about oh. this subject. And I was like, oops, I didn't do that. So it's uh, it's about laziness, Dave. So I'm also quite lazy. That is my natural instinct. It's my natural state. I uh, don't move unless needing to move. I used to review more often, and there were actually a lot of benefits when you started writing actual reviews and honest reviews. A lot of companies and organizations would reach out to you and thank you for your time. Yeah. In some cases, uh, organizations like Hotels.com or Google would actually offer me discounts or coupon codes for various things because I would take the time to populate reviews in Google Maps or in hotels.com. I don't do it as much anymore. I'm just I'm just too busy these days to like take the time to do it. But Elizabeth, I actually think it's worthwhile to engage in community, even if it's the online community. If you have something really nice to say about a product, yeah. you should say it. Yeah, or a person. Like I, I yeah. did some traveling last year. I went to an all-inclusive and the staff actually that assisted us asked, would you write a re review on the website and would you consider using my name? Here's my name. And if they were awesome, I absolutely would. You know, I would say Dave was exceptionally friendly at the front desk. He helped us get to our room, whatever it was, because those people should, should get a shout out. I tend, if something didn't go as well, not to use names. I might just explain the situation. But I, I'm noticing that too, that, that services are asking you, businesses and individuals, 
individual um, workers within mm. those businesses are asking to do the reviews because sometimes they get little perks as well. So it's important to remember that if, if you had a good experience, sometimes those employees yeah. will get a little perk. So Yeah, I, 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 and I, the reason why I would do it when I do it is because I believe there is value as well, yes. right? That you can share Absolutely. your observational experience and say, this is why I liked it. There was one hotel that I stayed at in downtown Vancouver. I've shouted out, I've shouted it out on the show before. Hotel Blue at the corner of uh, Robson and Hamilton. Awesome, awesome hotel. And there were all these little things they did that made the experience top top tier and I wrote them a long glowing review of what an amazing experience it was from top to bottom assistance from people at the front desk or around the hotel a lot of the facilities inside the hotel and in that case you're able to sort of explain to people hey I'm legally blind I'm a pedestrian yep. great walking hotel hey I'm someone who likes to work out in the morning when I when I stay at hotels when I'm on vacation amazing hotel gym hey they have a convenient little buffet breakfast, really good. Fresh water available all day from water machines in the lobby. You know, Elizabeth, it's these little things. And again, Absolutely. maybe it's very inward looking, but if I can at least give people some context on why I liked it, maybe they're gonna say, oh yeah, I like walking, I like fresh water, I like a simple buffet breakfast. You know, it's those little things that have tangible meaning, not just punching five stars. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, personalizing it is really the key and making it about your experience. And again, I think, you know, those those shout outs can be can be really helpful. I also think that, you know, if a, if, if a review, if an experience wasn't positive, doing a fair and honest critique is fine. But just remembering to keep it on the product or the experience and just trying to also think about what is it I want people to take away from this? If it was a negative experience for me, what do I want people to take away? Yeah, Nizreen, you were talking about it before, that you do put mm -hmm. value in a, yeah. in, a, in a review. So not what you look for in regards to credibility, but what's the information you're actively looking for in an online review? It was the product helpful? Was it good quality? Um, a lot of these uh, reviews are just very vague. They're not giving lots of description about the product so yeah. again i look for more about the product rather than you know restaurants so i'm gonna yeah. just you know forget about restaurants for a second and look at clothing and i because there's a quite a bit of times where i bought uh, a dress for example and it was cheap quality didn't look at the review so yeah. i would go look at the review if there's a picture yeah. that would be amazing if there isn't they describe okay this was really good quality it, it was too small it was too big it was tight from here it was tight from there and a lot of and <laughs> everything was... everything i buy is tight from here and tight from there <laughs> but what's helpful is that some people say okay get a size bigger or or things like that so that's when i know okay yeah. it's, it's legit you know, Nisreen, that, that's a really good observation because one of the clothing stores that I buy a lot of my big and tall clothing from has introduced that feature in reviews recently. Did this fit true to your expectation, right? Typically what I buy is 3XT, and now every time they, make, they send me something, the, the follow-up survey comes. Did the sizing 
match your needs. Now, obviously, I oscillate up and down a little bit from around 3XT, but I know when something is clearly too snug or clearly too big, and I love that they're starting to ask really precise questions in these online reviews and then making it available on the website, and they're even using AI to tailor that to the stuff they're sending you, being like, customers report this article of clothing is a little bit smaller. We suggest, based on your needs, you, you, big, you big fatty, that I you get that, that you Zara, get a bigger actually. size. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah Elizabeth, the, the, like specificity, right? Like specificity Absolutely. matters in this information. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing I'll often include in a review is anything around accessibility positive or areas for growth. So like you said, that hotel seemed to really meet your needs. So if I see that there's a, an accessible entrance and there's wheelchair height counters and the staff seem to have great customer service, those are things I'll mention because again, perhaps folks with disabilities who are looking at those reviews are going, oh, this might be a place that I want to check out. Of course, knowing everyone's needs are different, but having that kind of information in a review can be really helpful. Right on. Elizabeth, thank you for this topic. Talk to you later for the uh, news quiz. All Nizreen, right, I'm going to try to cream it. There you go. Nizreen, you have a nice day. I do want to remind you there are some opportunities to be part of a live studio audience inside the AMI family. AMI's got a really cool opportunity featuring Kelly and Ramya. They are taping a special episode on Monday, November the 27th. They're looking for 50 people to be part of the audience. So if you live in the Toronto area, the GTA, the center of the universe the big smoke and you want to participate email info at ami.ca info at ami.ca space is limited everybody in attendance will get a kelly and rumia gift bag and their names will be entered into a draw to win one of two apple gift cards valued at 500 dollars each that's like a third of an iphone along with five 50 tim hortons gift cards that's a lot of Timbits. For your chance to win these great prizes, you have to be part of the live studio audience on November the 27th. The taping will air on a future date on AMI-tv. Well, it's good to know we're not just recording it for no reason at all. To confirm your participation, please email info at AMI.ca. Info at AMI.ca. You better be there. Coming up after the break, Holland Bloorview Hospital has developed a decision aid tool for autistic young adults in the workplace. Courtney Weaver will tell you about it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital has launched its annual campaign, Ready to Work. The campaign is in support of youth with disabilities who want to find meaningful employment. In addition, Holland Bloorview has released the Autism Decision Aid Tool. Courtney Weaver is one of the partners behind the toolkit and has some details for you. Hey, Courtney, thank you for making time to be on the show this morning. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me, Dave. So I set it up just a smidge in the intro there, but what's the goal behind the campaign, the Ready to Work campaign? Oh, certainly. So October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month, or Indeed, and the Ready to Work campaign was an anti-stigma campaign Holland Blur, the Holland Blurview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital launched earlier this month. It's been running for some years. 
With the aid of the campaign, the hospital is raising awareness around its free employment resources and is aiming to also challenge employers to adopt inclusive practices in order to recruit and retain youth and young adults with disabilities. Where do young workers fit into the broader perspective of, of the, the worker shortage that the Conference Board of Canada is predicting, uh, 2 million by 2031? Yeah. Where can young workers with disabilities fill some of that gap? Oh, certainly. So this labor shortfall can certainly sound startling. However, there are the solution to the shortfall that is predicted in a few years from now is it lies in the thousands of youth with disabilities who are currently entering the workforce. There is a strong business case around accessing the untapped pool of Canadians with disabilities. 22%, so just a little over a fifth of Canadians identify as having a disability. That is a sizable demographic group of individuals who have talent and ability to offer. And according to studies shared by the Ontario Disability Employment Network, workplaces that include people with disabilities and developmental differences actually boast higher profits, better productivity, and increased employee retention. You know, this isn't just an ideology thing. This is this is something that has tangible results and involves real people. And Holland Bloorview is doing more than just the ideology or the philosophy. You and some of your colleagues have done work to support employers and youth with disabilities. The hospital recently launched the Autism Decision Aid tool. So how does this tool work? How does this fit into the experience of an employee with autism? Oh, certainly. So the Autism Decision Aid Tool empowers people on the autism spectrum, primarily youth and young adults, in order to make their own decisions around disclosure in the workplace, as well as during their employment journey. The tool is broken down into three modules with instructional videos and PDF documents that help individuals on the autism spectrum understand what disclosure is, the benefits and risks of disclosure, as well as several other important factors. I am all for developing resources to help individuals with autistic identities navigate society at large on their own terms from a place of knowledge and internal calm. Deciding whether or not to disclose is an immensely serious choice that can be overwhelming. And to me, this tool can help individuals on the autism spectrum understand that they have multiple options to guide their options around disclosure. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing choice. Mm. What was the development like? Who helped bring this tool together? Oh, certainly. So Vanessa Thomas, who's a former PhD student at the Holland Blurview Research Institute, co-led the development of the Autism Decision Aid tool. She developed the tool under the supervision of Dr. Sally Lindsay, who's a senior scientist at the Holland Blurview Research Institute. And Vanessa also developed the tool in partnership with four young autistic young people, including myself. A real collaborative team effort. I love that one. Uh, Courtney, one last question on the way out here. You mentioned that there's a lot of ongoing support going on around Holland Bloorview. There's a career fair coming up. Uh, who's invited to attend? What's going to be on hand at the career fair? All right. So the employer career fair, which is taking place all this week, is purely virtual and it is targeted at employers and organizational leaders who want to include young adults with disabilities in their workforce. 
Those who sign up for the fair will be able to hear from people who have lived experience with disability and gain access to a suite of resources that are tailor-made for employers. And because it's virtual, registrants can learn at their own pace. Registrants can still sign up at hollandblurview.ca slash employercareerweek. Right on. Courtney, thank you for taking some time this morning. Thank you for all the hard work that you and your colleagues are doing. Keep it up, and we'll talk again down the road. Oh, thank you, Dave. That's Courtney Weaver. Courtney is one of the partners behind the Autism Decision Aid Tool. For more information on their resources in the upcoming career fair, visit hollandblorview.ca, hollandblorview.ca. Coming up next... The show wraps up with a little bit of fun. Another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Karen McGee is back in the mix. Elizabeth Moeller is trying her hand at the quiz. And Brock Richardson will try again to pick up a big win. A little bit of fun coming your way after the break. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Before you put the Tuesday show in saran wrap and slide it into the fridge, one more element for you. One more condiment to add. It's the weekly news quiz. That's right, the weekly news quiz. It's like a jolt of hot sauce on your Tuesday morning. Let's welcome in the contestants to the show. Karen McGee, I know you would never use saran wrap. You're an aluminum foil person, I'm sure. I use it all, Dave. <laughs> aluminum foils, so I don't have to scrub any dishes after, like line everything with aluminum foil. Oh, I use it all. My what a what a utility item the aluminum foil is. It's, it's, it's the king. It's the king of the kitchen. Also saying hello to Brock Richardson. Brock, hello. Hello. And once again, a hello to Elizabeth Moeller. Elizabeth, hello. Hello, and yes to the hot sauce. Yes, those are the three contestants, Brock, Karen, and Elizabeth. The rules of the game, in case you didn't know. Three rounds of questions. Three questions per round. Each question comes with three choices. If you answer the question without the choices, you get two points. If you need the options, you get one. If you get it wrong, I mock you. And another testant gets the chance mm. to steal the point. The order will be Karen, Brock, and Elizabeth. Give me one moment. I've got to knock a pop-up that showed up on the middle of my screen in the middle of the segment. Very rude of the internet. Okay, all these questions are related to international news in round number one. Karen, you get the first crack at this. A Northern European king has tested positive for COVID-19 in the last three days. What country does he represent? Well, there's a couple that he could represent. So I'm going to take the choices and just see what you give me there, my friend. Is it Sweden, Denmark, or Norway? <laughs> Those were the, like, at least two of them were in there, the ones I was thinking of. I'm going to go with Sweden. That is incorrect. Oh. Brock, an opportunity for a steal. How about Norway? 
That is correct. One point for Brockalock. King Harold V is 86 years old. Yeah, Karen, I wrote the quiz this week, so I made sure all these options were going to be especially <laughs> difficult for all of y'all. Uh, Brock, uh. with one point on the board, an opportunity to take a commanding lead. An American airline cancelled about 100 flights on Friday after pulling some planes out of service for inspections. What American airline was it? I'll take the options. Is it JetBlue, Spirit, or Southwest? Southwest. That is incorrect. Elizabeth, a chance for a steal. JetBlue or Southwest? I am going to say that it is oh. Southwest. Oh, wait, sorry, Elizabeth, I messed you up there. Brock already said Southwest. I'm bad at reading my own writing. That's okay. Can Je you give me the responses Je again? My, my mistake. JetBlue or Spirit? JetBlue or Spirit? I'm going to say JetBlue. That is incorrect. Karen McGee, the default point of spirits goes to you. I did very poorly there, but Karen, you know, is happy to get her point. <laughs> Elizabeth, question number three goes to you. Question number three goes to you of round number one, an opportunity to uh, square this thing away at one point or maybe even take a lead. An Italian premier has announced that they and their partner are separating. Premier Giorgia Meloni and Andreo Gimbruno had been together for almost a decade. Gimbruno is a public figure himself. What is Gimbruno's profession? Uh, options? Is he a musician, a soccer player, or a TV personality? What was the first one, sorry? Uh, musician, soccer player, or TV personality? Oh, I'm going to go with musician. That is incorrect. Karen McGee, soccer player or TV personality? I'm going to say soccer player. That is incorrect. Oh, Default come on. Default point for Brock Richardson. Jim Bruno had been caught on tape making lewd remarks about his colleagues. Uh, disqualifying to be a pre to be a TV personality, but not a president. Uh, Okie dokie. So we've got Brock with two points after one round and Karen with one point. Elizabeth still sitting on the goose egg. Round two, all these questions come from the sports world and Brock, you get the first crack at this. Soccer legend Bobby Charlton passed away this weekend. He famously played for one of England's biggest clubs. What club is it? I'll take the options. Did Bobby Charlton play for Liverpool, Manchester United, or Chelsea? I think it was Liverpool. That is incorrect. Elizabeth, nope. the chance for a steal. Manchester, Manchester United. Okay, but didn't even need me to finish. She just nailed it for the big one point. So Elizabeth is now on the board. Thousands of people flocked to Old Trafford in Manchester to pay tribute over the weekend. Elizabeth, now that you're on the board, you've got an opportunity to uh, continue moving here. All right. This question comes from sort of the academic in sports world. Ooh. The NCAA has accused a prominent football team, college football team, of spying and illegal sign stealing. What team has been accused? Oh, I think I need the options. Is it the University of Michigan, Ohio State University, or Penn State University? Oh, um, I'm going to go with the first one, A. The University of Michigan is correct. Go blue. The NCAA has alleged that Michigan sent a staffer with a camera to film opponents' sidelines during games. Michigan has suspended the staffer. 
So now Elizabeth has gotten herself all tied up with Big uh, with Big Brock with uh, two points on the board. I you were going to say Big Blue. <laughs> uh, big Blue and Big Brock. So two <laughs> points for Elizabeth, two points for Brock, one point for Karen. But Karen, you've got an opportunity to uh, tie things up or maybe even take the lead with question number three of round number two. Formula One driver Max Verstappen won his 50th career race this weekend. What city played host to the United States Grand Prix? Okay, so I knew the answers to the other two questions without the choices, and you give me like a Formula One one. I'll take the choices. <laughs> you know, college football and, and European Premier League soccer are, you know, on par with popularity of Formula One. Okay, Karen, I've made this especially hard for you. Is it Dallas? It's what I do. Is it Dallas, Austin, or Houston? I'm going to say Dallas. That is incorrect. Brock, oh, an opportunity it for a steal. Austin or Houston? Austin. That is correct. One point for Brock. So Brock takes the lead yet again. Verstappen is the second fastest driver to 50 career wins. Michael Schumacher holds the record for the fastest. So after two rounds, anybody's game. Brock with three points. Elizabeth with two. Karen with one. This is a good game brewing here. Round three, all the questions are general news questions. Elizabeth, you get the first crack here. A Milwaukee comic book shop wants to sell a rare collector's item. The comic is called Amazing Fantasy Number 15. The comic marks the first appearance of a famous superhero. Which superhero is it? Options, please. Is it Batman, Superman, or Spider-Man? I am going to go with C, option C. That would be Spider-Man, and that would be correct. Elizabeth, Ty and Brock up at three points. The estimated value of the comic is $35,000, which actually strikes me as a little bit low. I thought it would have been higher. Uh, Karen, you're in uh, deep trouble here. You got to get, get this question right. You can't be giving up any more points to Brock, Locker, or Elizabeth here. So... A 99-year-old man climbed the steps of the CN Tower this weekend. Walter Decker was joined by his son, grandson, and two great-grandsons at the United Way climb-up on Saturday. What southern Ontarian city does Walter Decker live in? I'm just going to take a shot in the dark because I need the two points. I'm going to say London. Ooh, incorrect. And now because Karen guessed like that, I have the opportunity to get a point if Brock or Elizabeth don't get this. So, Brock, you get the first crack at this. Do you want options? Yes, please. Is it Hamilton, St. Catharines, or Waterloo? Let's go with St. Catharines. That is incorrect. Elizabeth, is it Hamilton or Waterloo? And if you get this wrong, I get a point. Okay, I am going to go with Waterloo. That is incorrect. I ah. get the point. Boom, the hammer coming in big for old DB. This is the third time Walter Decker has climbed the tower. Good on him. So I did a quick score check here. Can we get this up on the uh, up on the screen here for, for I ask this last question? Because I believe Brock is a one-point lead. Brock sitting at uh no, we got a tie here. Brock at three, Elizabeth at three, Karen at one. So it might be over for Karen, but there is a strategic machination here that could still get a three-way tie. Brock, you get the first crack at this question, though. An Atlantic Canadian province has introduced province-wide regulations for ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft. 
This legislation uh, came out yesterday. Brock, what province brought in the new rules? What Atlantic Canadian province brought in the new rules? I'll take the options, please. Is it Newfoundland and Labrador, New Brunswick, or Prince Edward Island? New Brunswick. That is incorrect. Elizabeth, a chance for the win here. I'm going to go PEI. That is incorrect. Karen gets the old default point, getting a little closer uh, into the game. So that means after three rounds, we officially have a tie at the top with Brock and Elizabeth, which leads to the tie-breaking question. As you know, since I've taken over the writing of the news quiz, we're doing the tiebreaker a little bit different. We're not doing the yell out your name and yell out the answer. We're going to play a game of closest to the pin. Whoever gets the number closest to my question is going to get the point. You heard me share this story about the CN Tower earlier this round. Here's a little trivia tidbit out of that question. How many steps do you have to climb to get to the top of the CN Tower? Closest to the pin, not prices right rules. So if you're over, it doesn't matter, but you've gotta be closest. So, Brock, what's your guess? How many steps to get to the top of the CN Tower? I'm gonna go with 2,700. So Brock says 2,700. Elizabeth, what say you? What say I? I'm gonna guess it's around 1,500. So is 1,500 your guess? Yes. Okay. Karen McGee, I tell you what, if you hit this on the pin, I'll give you the win. 1750. Karen, you were so close to hitting this on the pin. It's 1776. That means Elizabeth gets the tiebreaker point, and your winner is. Elizabeth Moeller, well done by you. I better climb that CN Tower now. <laughs> yeah. uh, Karen, Karen McGee, I've got to say, as you made your guess, Kingsley Juco down the hall in the control room exclaimed audibly because of how close you got. You were close. <laughs> I, I've seen that stat before. I don't know why. Maybe I've thought about doing it at one point when I lived in Barrie. So I meant that's maybe it just stuck in my head. I don't think I could do it now. That's yeah, 1776 stairs, like not flights, steps. There was a time in my life where I think I could have done that, but I don't think anymore. Elizabeth, you run you run triathlons. I feel like you could do this, no problem. I've done that climb, actually, and it, it's a lot there of fun. Maybe we should have an AMI stair ah. climb. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that no, one. No, I'm good. Yeah, I, I, think I, I think I'll go in the elevator with Brock. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys thank we'll you race them, Dave. that's what we'll do we'll yeah. Race them. <laughs> yeah i don't think they do charity events for uh how many how many ro- how many uh floors you can go up on the elevator but we'll try <laughs> that's uh brock richardson elizabeth moeller and karen mcgee with another edition of the news quiz brock got a puppy uh last night i do want to pick his brain about that but maybe that'll be a tomorrow occasion because that's all the time there is for the show today until tomorrow morning at 9 a.m eastern time i'm dave brown reminding you to play safe play fair but don't forget to climb some stairs and have some fun too and talk to you tomorrow
Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.